This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to rock it? Yep. Equity Mates! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you can. Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates. Or should I say, hey, welcome to another episode. <laughs> keep it in, keep it going. <laughs> or should I say, hey, welcome to another episode of Equity Mates. The podcast that's the graffiti on the Wall Street walls. We're here to disrupt your notions about investing just like a stencil on a blank canvas. Now, I'm here with my equity mates, Buddy Ren, who has nailed my introduction personas to date. This one is a little trickier. Yeah, yeah. So, you're going for an artist, graffiti artist vibe, obviously. Yes, yes. I mean... um, that you may have just gone more of a general artist vibe and that's going to trip me up. No. the This isn't my guess, but I'm just going to talk through um, my thinking. Okay. Uh, my first thought was Mark Echo, you know, from the clothing line Echo, who was yes. a graffiti artist. Okay. One of the greatest outrages of my childhood <laughs> was that uh, Mark Echo's Proving Ground video game where you were a graffiti artist was banned in Australia and yet all the GTAs were allowed into Australia where you could rob banks and hijack cars and all that stuff how um graffiti was banned but gta wasn't we'll never know okay but i don't think you would have gone that niche i'm gonna say are you banksy (laughs) (laughs) very good very good yes banksy the anonymous graffiti no he got unmasked really well he's being sued and for graffiti uh, no, I, I, I'm not sure what for. Oh, there, there's a lawsuit and someone has been named and they think that, that per- it, it's a lawsuit related to Banksy. Um, so let me find the name because... Well, while you find the name, I'll set up the episode. <laughs> Great. Uh, so it's a case of libel in this, filed in the UK High Court. Andrew Gallagher is the person's name. Who's um, suing. No, who is being sued. Okay. And the claim is that he is Banksy, I believe. All right, well... I, I'm just skimming this article, but anyway, do your own research. <laughs> do your That's own not research. investing advice. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a great episode lined up today. Each year, we are fortunate enough to get some of the amazing fund managers who... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the Gallagher is the guy suing... The person named was Robin Gunningham, I think. Sounds fake. Honestly, I need to read this whole thing. <laughs> anyway, Ren, 
As I said, we're in for a treat today because each year we get the opportunity to speak to some of the amazing fund managers that donate their time towards the Sown Hearts and Minds Investment Conference. Now, the Sown Hearts and Minds Investment Conference is an annual investment conference by the Hearts and Minds Investments Limited where they get fund managers to come and pitch their highest conviction stock and then the proceeds from the listed company that uh, Hearts and Minds have, it, the, the stock ticker is HM1, proceeds from that go towards medical research. Mm. To date, they've donated more than $60 million to a number of medical researchers in Australia. So it's a pretty interesting structure and like a pretty cool concept. Yeah, so 12 fund managers each come and they have just eight minutes to pitch their highest conviction stock. And this year, there are international fundies coming from the UK, the US and Asia alongside some of the uh, leading fundies here in Australia. And today, we get to speak to one of them. That's right. We are speaking to Ricky Bannon, who is an executive director and portfolio manager at IFM Investors. They run a whole number of wholesale funds. So, uh, retail investors may not have heard of them but your super may be invested with them. Uh, they have like $250 billion assets under management. So they're massive. Um, they do a lot of infrastructure investment, fixed income. Uh, but Ricky is particularly focused on small caps. And we love small caps. We do. Fa- hearing about companies that we haven't heard of before. We've asked Ricky to bring two stocks today. So when we speak to her, she's going to give us the story behind the stocks, the pros, the cons. Um we should be clear, it's not the stock she's going to pitch for HM1. That is a closely guarded secret. That's like uh, the AFL guarding the Brownlow votes 100%. before the big night. Um, Lock and key. So if you're interested in going to the conference, it is on November the 17th here in Sydney. However, Equity Mates community has access to the online edition. You get 20% discount available exclusively for the Equity Mates community. The price of the tickets is $400. Uh, there's a link in the show notes and the discount code is EquityMates2023, all one word. And a reminder that all of the uh, it, it, it all goes towards medical research. Mm, you said, however, there as if the Equity Mates community doesn't get access to the main conference. You well, can I, buy a main I ticket. Should, well, but it's worth pointing out it's, it's uh, three and a half grand for a... I was, and the discount code doesn't work. Not for that, I don't know. Not for the main ticket, just for the online. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, Bryce, Ricky will be with us soon, but before we get to that, we have to remind everyone that whilst we are licensed and whilst Ricky is an expert, none of us are aware of your personal financial circumstances. Uh, Any advice you hear is general advice only. We produce these podcasts for education and entertainment purposes, but make sure you're doing your own research and if you feel like you need professional advice, you seek it. But with that said, Bryce, let's uh, let's get set up and get ready. Well, Ricky, welcome to Equity Mates. Thank you very much for having me. Now, to to get started, we always do a would you rather. So, would you rather have the ability to see ten minutes into the future or one hundred and fifty years into the future? Oh, definitely one hundred and fifty years. Nice. Okay, and why is that? Oh, I mean, just how rapidly the world has changed in the last, you know, even 10, 20 years. Just to think about what 
you know, what it might look like that far into the future would be fascinating. Would be pretty amazing. We recently interviewed a guy who's trying to bring back the woolly mammoth from extinction. So, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe maybe the woolly mammoth is there. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like, so that would be you're in 1880. You're in the 1880s, basically looking ahead to today. today that yeah. would be mind blowing. Mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> Some good long term investing thematics would come out of that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> now, Ricky, you're prepared to pitch a stock at the Hearts and Minds conference. Why is participating in the Hearts and Minds uh, important to you? Well, I mean, look, it's a fantastic event. Um, there's been some incredible speakers um, participating over the years. But, you know, most importantly, the purpose being to support medical research. By the end of this conference, they would have donated around $60 million to, you know, a number of different charities. So it's hard not to, to get behind that. And, you know, supporting medical research, that's something that, you know, on a more personal level is close to my heart. You know, I lost my best friend to cancer a few years ago so you know it's something that that I'm you know certainly certainly very invested in personally and also biotech and healthcare that's one of the sectors that I'm responsible for um, in the IFM small caps fund um, and you know that's a, a space we actively participate in so lots of interest on a few yeah. different fronts. It's fascinating so um, you, you mentioned there that you manage the small small cap fund for IFM investors how would you define your investing philosophy? I suppose my investment philosophy would be you know over the long term I think that the market will price a company fairly um, you know its share price will over time reflect its fundamental value but in the meantime there are going to be points where you know there's a dislocation between value that the market's describing and and you know the true fundamental of the stock and you know that could be macro factors non-fundamental market factors but essentially you know what we're trying to work out is what is the intrinsic value of a company and, and you know sort of our process builds up to that understanding you know what, what we're investing in what is the business what sector does it operate in what's its competitive position you know how does it plan to grow and, you know, understanding management's strategy, you know, do we think that they are capable of executing that strategy? All these things sort of filter, filter into arriving at that, that sort of view of what, what real value is for a stock. And then I guess that turns that long term, you know, uh, over, the, over the long term, the market will reflect fair value. But in the short term, there's opportunities to, to find that is all turned on its head when we talk about the Hearts and Minds Conference because you're given a 12-month time horizon. Um, so how's that different to your normal process and how have you been approaching uh, this, this pitch? Yeah, I mean, as you say, you know, we, we're generally taking a longer-term view. You know, if we're buying a stock, our plan would be to hold it for, for longer than 12 months. You know, of course, things can change in a 12-month period, both positive and negative. So, you know, you have to be prepared to react accordingly. But being locked into a... 12-month window is is a challenge. It, again, macro factors, other exogenous shocks, um, the thesis even just taking longer to, to sort of play out and for the market to, to sort of appreciate, you know, what, what you see in the stock. So, you know, we consider all of those things, obviously, when we're, we're investing in a, in a company in our fund, but, you know, we can be patient. And so we're prepared to ride that out. So, you know, I've got stocks in the portfolio that I've owned, you know, since inception of the fund or, or since, since the company IPO'd. I might own more or less of them at any point in time, but, you know, they're, they're sort of long-term holdings. That's sort of what we what we aim to do. So if it's on, you know, 
I suppose I'm, I'm trying to think about those those factors, you know, the macro, which is so easy to pick right now. Um, <laughs> everyone's very focused on the macro, you know, what are the p- potential, you know, out of left field things that could potentially happen, um, you know, is, but really, I suppose, is there a catalyst? Is there a positive catalyst between now and November next year that, you know, that means the market's going to re-rate the stock, you know, or ascribe a higher value than yeah. it does today? Yeah, it's a funny one. Look, when I think about it, I would either go that way like is there a catalyst coming up that will see an inflection point or you find something that's had a lot of momentum and you just say this momentum is going to continue but I don't envy yours <laughs> because ne- neither of them Thank say you. easy. Yeah. <laughs> now Ricky we're hurtling towards Christmas so it'd be good to uh, understand how you see markets as we're closing out 2023 there's been a it feels like there's a fair bit of uncertainty going on at the moment we had a pretty big t- 2021 followed by a tough 2022 and a, what feels like a uncertain flat sideways who knows 2023 so how are you summing up where we're at in markets at the moment uh current market volatile uh, is yeah. probably the mm. word that springs to mind you know the the re- well it doesn't feel that recent anymore but the reporting season in august that was a real case in point you know there's always going to be big share price moves in in reporting season um it's kind of when you know the macro matters less and it's more about the fundamentals so you're always particularly at the smaller end of the market you know you, you do get some big share price moves but this reporting season just gone the number of stocks with a plus or minus 10 percent move on the day was more than double what we normally see Wow. which was a lot of fun um, and then even some um, some really big day two and three moves so you know which is good because we're an active manager so you know the volatility creates buying opportunities but you know I, I definitely you know I think that's going to continue and yeah as I said you know the market's also very macro focused it's all about inflation when does it come back to target levels what does that mean for interest rates and you know our view for some time I think has been you know we did think that inflation was going to be stickier than what the market thought um, and interest rates were going to be higher for longer um, and I, I think you know that's increasingly that view's getting increasingly priced in um, so look where to from here I suppose we ha- we've had a decade of ultra low rates, you know, unprecedented injections of liquidity by central banks, you know, and that all underwrote an equities bull market. You know, it was sort of a, a case of rising tide lifting all boats. You know, beta was strong. I think, you know, from here, though, the outlook, the return outlook is more muted. And, you know, I think that probably makes stock selection increasingly important. So, again, you know, plays into to our capability as an active manager in, in the small cap fund. Do you guys just rub your hands together and it's like after a decade of passive just being the yes. sort of the Come, focus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of that flow coming back out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want to we want to really focus on the small cap end of the market because that's that's where you um, are focused. But I guess before then, just one more question on the macro. You know, like the cost of living, inflation, interest rates. As you said, they've really been the story of. 2023 it feels like the broader economy has held up okay and there were some warning signs from retailers this reporting season that maybe this financial year started a bit flat and you know we always hear that interest rate rises take 12 to 18 months to to really flow through i guess does ifm or do you personally have a view on sort of what the next year looks like from a macro and you know like i guess like personal cost of living you know consumer point of view yeah well I mean firstly I'll say I'm, I'm not an economist yeah. <laughs> although <laughs> although every small cap manager in the market has, has felt like an economist in the last 12 months I think trying to trying to work out I think everyone it's on going. social media has, <laughs> yeah. been, had their turn um, as an yeah, economist <laughs> yeah yeah I suppose look we have seen inflation moderate somewhat but it is as I said proving stickier than anticipated and still well above where where it needs to be so 
Interest rates again high for longer. I think is is what we're what we're going to see. You know, it wasn't that long ago that you know some people in the market were pricing in rate cuts. You know, early calendar twenty four. I don't see how that how that happens. Um, and you know, there, there's still question. You know, is the RBA is the Fed done? You know, is there potentially one more rate hike? And again, I'm not an economist, but yeah, potentially. You know, I think there could be. Um, but high for longer. I think is is the where to from here. And so that is going to filter through to um, to sort of the, the broader economy, and you know you mentioned cost of living pressures. You know I think they're going to continue. Um, no signs of easing. So, look, I think fears about a recession in the US and here have have receded a bit. You mentioned the consumer through reporting season, and you know we've been surprised too as to how well the consumer has held up. I mean, I, what I would say there though is. You know, to your point, the impact of higher interest rates, there is a lag effect of that rolling through. Um, and, and there's also, you know, fixed rate mortgages that are still still to roll off. But, you know, it does it does feel like it's going to get tougher for the consumer. And you are hearing that from retailers and it, you know, it is it is softening. So, but, you know, I suppose the question is, to what extent is that priced in to, to, to retail stocks? So... So a lot of uh, a lot of the the community listening at the moment have been well passively investing and and riding the bull market, but the smaller part of of the market has has been whacked a lot harder than sort of the top end. So for those that are thinking, well, maybe now's a good time to think about small caps. What what advice do you have to sort of early stage investors when it comes to thinking about small caps in their portfolio at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you say, it's it's been um, it's been pretty brutal. Um, small caps has underperformed large caps. You know, this year, or well, really for the last best part of the last two years, I think that you know that does provide an opportunity. There is, you know, the valuation differential isn't isn't as big. Um, I think the outlook in terms of growth for small caps is is better than for large caps. Would be sort of a comment on the whole. Um, but again, you know, I think there's there's always going to be nuances. Um, across across stocks so you know I'd be you know you're selective about the stocks that you want to own so you know it is still going to be a tough economic backdrop so you know what are the stocks that you know have a general sort of structural growth story behind them they can keep growing you know despite the prevailing macro those are the sort of stocks that I would be looking at pricing power as well you know high inflationary environment Mm. Uh, we want to get to some specific stocks but I guess just before then like if we just keep it to to Australia because otherwise we're going to be asking you about a universe of tens of thousands of stocks but just just in australia you know a lot of people probably think the smaller end of the market is a lot of mining explorers and then maybe a few like great tech companies that sort of come through every now and then give us a view on like what the small cap universe here actually looks like and i guess if there are any sectors that you think are particularly interesting or innovative or exciting sort of as you look at it today yeah sure so yeah the um, small caps index does look pretty different to the larger end of the market you know the top 100 you've got bhp rio the big four banks it's the the breadth and depth of, of of sort of sectors and businesses is much more diverse which is you know why i think small caps is fascinating um, you mentioned resources. That's a big part of the index. Um, that's 25, 30% of the index. Um, so it's, it's, it's material. Um, and, and that is um, a space that, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that, is, that is a space that we're invested in. Um, one of my co-PMs is a, a ge- geologist by background. So he, you know, just um, picks the eyes out of some of these smaller <laughs> resources companies. Um, I'm not going to get into, not going to get into resources because I'm definitely not the, uh, the gun on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a, a big part of the, the space. Um, consumer discretionary is probably about 20% of the index. So that covers sort of retail, media, consumer services. So again, material part of the index. REITs, people are surprised to hear that REITs is a big part of the um, yeah, right. of the small caps index. It's about 
12%. Um, and then, yeah, you've obviously got tech in there, a bit under 10% now, um, healthcare, a bit under 10%. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty pretty diverse group of stocks, which is why, you know, why I love it. It's so interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to some stocks. Uh, we've asked you to come in with two there's probably many more that we'd love to dive into and you're going to keep the gem for the sown hearts and minds pitch. Let's just start with the first. If you can let us know what the company is, how you came across it, what it does, and then we'll dive into the, the thesis. Yep. Okay. So um, two stocks, they're, they're polar opposites. You couldn't get more different. Nice. Um, so I've got, I've got a, a biotech and a funeral services business. Okay, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so we'll start. We'll start with the, the funeral services business. Um, Propel Funeral Partners. We've owned that since it IPO'd in uh, 2017. Uh, so they're a funeral services operator with um, over 180 locations across Australia and New Zealand. Quality portfolio of brands. Well, what we like about it, I suppose, you know, the funeral services sector, you know, by its nature, it's a very sort of stable, steady growing um, space. You know, there's a two, two certainties in life, death mm. and taxes. Yeah. Um, I don't think there are any sort of tax agents that are listed. So anyway, so funeral services, that's, you know, I guess it's like, good. I guess like a zero or something. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, I think the attraction of the sector is the steady growth and there obviously it can be short-term fluctuations in the death rate, um, but it is a case of steady growth over time and there are tailwinds there with an ageing population. You know, the Australian death rate is expected to increase from a 1% CAGR in the last 30 years to 2.5% CAGR in the next um, 20 years and there's a similar trend in New Zealand. W- what we like about this business is it has pricing power. Average revenue per funeral grows at about 3% CAGR over the, the long term. Sorry to interrupt, what is the average per, like revenue per funeral? So, I mean, it varies if, you know, basic to, to all bells and whistles, but it can be, you know, 4,000, 5,000. Wow. Better start saving. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not going to need it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah so, we, so we like, we like the pricing power, you know, so you've got, you've got, Volume growth that should over the long term be two two and a half percent. On top of that, you've got price growth averaging about three percent. So that's a good underlying organic growth story right there. The funeral industry in Australia and New Zealand is very fragmented. These guys have um, started from you know from one location and have done a series of acquisitions over their life to to now have about eight percent market share. So still still very small market share. Then you've got Invocare. Mm. I was going to ask because I listed. feel like I feel like most people have dabbled or at least looked at yeah, Invocare yeah. at some point. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, look, it's been, um, you know, if you're a small cap manager that invested, you know, way back in the day, that's, you know, it's been a, a great a great investment. So, you know, they've got a bit of a 20% market share and then it's just, you know, a bunch of... Just small operators. Yeah, single mum and dad operators. Really? Um, so there's a big opportunity there um, for Propel to come in and to acquire and they've been, they've been very active. They've deployed, I think it's about $270 million of capital since they IPO'd on acquisitions and they've got a great track record. You know, they're disciplined, they're patient, they don't overpay, they're acquiring quality businesses and, and integrating them into the network. They do have, you know, they've got good balance sheet capacity to continue that strategy. They generate good cash, you know, which we like. But I think most importantly, it's a founder-led management team. Again, something that, that we really like, you know, particularly in the smaller end of the market. And, you know, you see a lot of that. We like the alignment. So, so management, they have um, about 20% shareholding across, um, across the three sort of key, key management um, and also um, some of the board. You know, in terms of the risks, there is some concern in the short term around um, the death rate. Uh, we sort of had a peak 
peak last year. So it's a it, funny sentence. Yeah, I know. To say. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's um, it yeah, it is. It's funny to be sort of yeah talk, talking about it. But yeah, look, I'd say you know in the short term that's a risk. You know, volumes they are down this year. You know that, and we cycle past that sort of later this year. So I think it's just it's not something that I'm overly concerned about. Yeah. Prepared to look through. And, you know, notwithstanding that the company did provide guidance for FY24 at their result, which they've never never normally done. Um, so I think that, that sort of goes to, you know, their confidence in the underlying business, the acquisitions that they're sort of betting down. And, and um, yeah, so I think, you know, it's a defensive business, long run way of growth ahead. You know, it's trading at 22 times one year forward PE. Compare that to Invocare, which has been recently taken out by private equity at a multiple sort of closer to 40 times. Oh, wow. 40 wow. Times. And, you know, whilst Invocare has been a fantastic, like, long-term investment, I think more recently it's they've been quite challenged. They have found, you know, the sort of short-term volume drop um, more challenging. Their margins haven't held up as well. You know, and they've got, I suppose, some older assets that probably need some investment. So, you know, I contrast that to, to a propel and, and you know i think it is is high quality do do you think so because when you were explaining the market and it's like you know invocare 20 20 odd percent propel eight percent then a long tail of fragmented operators after that i instantly just think like a deep pocketed private equity mm, uh, player comes and rolls it up yep tpg bought invocare who are the definition of deep pocketed private equity how do you think about the you know so propel are going to be trying to roll up TPG are going to be trying to roll up. How do you think about the, what each will be willing to pay and, you know, I guess the assertiveness of private equity? And, yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I suppose the thing with, with Invocare, and this was a part of the thesis when Propel first IPO'd, because they do have that big market share and Invocare is very dominant in capital cities, they actually don't have that much scope to do too much more just from a, a competition perspective in, in a lot of their markets oh you think like the ACCC would stop yes, them yes yeah oh, right. so, okay, I mean not to say that, that, that they, they don't have acquisition opportunities and they have you know kept nibbling away over time so I'm, I'm not saying that that's not going to be part of um, the strategy um, with Invocare but there's sort of less runway there and, yeah, and right. okay. the interesting thing about Propel I don't think they have ever been in a competitive situation against Invocare right. when Different. it comes to acquiring they and that's what you know is great about this management team they have been in the space for a long time they've cultivated a lot of relationships some of these businesses they end up acquiring they've been speaking to and these are you know these are like founders you know, and they, they have a big regional focus in, mm. in a lot of their acquisitions. Yeah, so they're yeah. the, the sole funeral services provider in, in a town. They've done it for, you know, 50 years. Pell's been speaking to them mm. for, you know, five years, you know, going and having a cup of tea every yeah. six months to yeah, check in yeah. and, you know, is it the right time? And so it's it's building the relationships with with the sort of the businesses they want to acquire they're not they're not in a situation ever really where they're in a you know a bidding war and that's sort of who they're acquiring from they're not you know they're not sophisticated enough to think oh you know i should check out you know yeah, you should check yeah, out yeah, invocare yeah, and yeah, see if yeah, i can yeah. extract a higher multiple <laughs> they're like you know they're they're coming you know they're, they're coming into retirement they yeah. just you know they want to um they want to sort of a plan for plan for that so i think there's plenty of room for both to pursue an acquisition strategy what market share do you anticipate Propel to be able to get then? I mean, I you know, I don't think there's any reason why that couldn't be as big as Invocare over time. It's, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow, the sort of incremental acquisitions. But, you know, I look at Propel today, $500 million market cap. Invocare just taken out for $1.8 And, you know, as I said, I think the assets that Propel has and the, the management team, it's, you know, 
arguably a high quality business. And Australia loves a duopoly, so you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Ricky, um, it's always good to understand the bear case. What what are you looking out for with with Propel? So the bear case, I think, and as I mentioned, it's it's a short term risk. Is just that fluctuation in death volumes. So you know, are they under pressure? this year that that's something you can track you can see um death volumes so you know volumes are down by how much what is the variation like so last month and i, I literally got this data this morning someone told me um in new south wales death volumes were down 10 percent versus pcp really yep. is that because we're cycling like a covid period or something? Uh, so it was sort of a um a post-covid yeah post-covid spike that we had because we sort of through covid Unlike in Europe and in the US where there was a spike in deaths during COVID, yeah, yeah. Um, we were obviously in lockdown, there was no flu. So, yeah, so the, you sort of had a situation where the death rate was artificially low in Australia through COVID. Mm. Um, and, you know, this it sounds terrible, but you, you can't avoid yeah, death forever. Up. Yeah, yeah, there's a catch yeah. up there. Um, so, yeah, so and now we're cycling that kind yeah. of spike, okay. if that makes sense. The other thing that I've read in some of the, uh, like, smaller health companies' commentary is that, a lot of some of their volumes were down because a lot of people didn't get care during lockdown, um, and then now, like that's obviously going to have a flow-on effect. It's a very morbid conversation. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's a, a it's a it's yeah. an issue in um, across healthcare and something we've seen from you know a number of the listed players, you know, pathology players, radiology um, companies as well. Is is yeah that sort of volume post post COVID has has found it hard to recover back mm. to kind of trend so but yeah look I mean that's for Propel it's not something I'm overly concerned about you know there is you know potentially a short-term earnings risk but uh, you know happy to look through that but for what is a, a long-term growth story. I mean the, the other risk and like this is probably not something that factors into the thesis but just something that I often wonder is like there, there hasn't been any innovation in how we do end-of-life care since cremation, really. And you've got two choices. You get buried or you get cremated, really. And where I live, there's massive cemeteries around and it just, like, they're full. Like, it just doesn't feel sustainable. It feels like there's, like, at some point, something's going to have to change in mm. that space. Yeah. I don't know what that is and I don't know who does it, but it's not really a question. It's more just a, something to yeah, how does I it? think about. I yeah, mean, yeah, 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 thinking about like longer term thematics and you asked before what the average cost of a funeral is and, you know, it's it's not a small amount of money. You know, in some markets, you know, people will say, oh, look, there's a trend to sort of lower, lower cost funerals. You know, people don't need the big ceremony and all the bells and whistles. Um, you have a quick cremation and, you know, do something elsewhere. It's just not something that they're seeing yeah, in Australia. Right, okay. um, yeah. So it's all, it's all yeah. very well and good to say that in the abstract, in theory. But then when it's like it's your family member and stuff like exactly that, exactly like, right. Yeah, yeah. And which is why you know when it comes to you know the, the argument about pricing power, you know they're not trying to gouge anyone, but they're seeing input costs go up by a certain percent. They pass them through, and it's, it's just not a situation where people are very price conscious because it's the last thing you do for a loved one. Hence why. You know, they're, they're willing to pay it. You know, people don't shop around um, for, for a cheaper funeral. Um, mm. You know, they go to a brand that they know and trust and, mm. and it's about the experience. So, mm. Well, Ricky, I think we've had enough of the morbid conversation about funerals. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break. And then on the other side, let's talk about a company that is working to extend our lives. Yes, and that's a bit more so positive. Really, it's a really nice sort of <laughs> symmetry there. Um, we'll, take, we'll take a quick break. <laughs> 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Equity Mates. We're speaking to Ricky Bannon, an executive director and portfolio manager at IFM Investors. Uh, Ricky will be speaking at the Hearts and Minds Conference on the 17th of November. Uh, you can pick up a ticket uh, for the in-person session or for the online session. I believe there's a discount code. Yes, there is. We'll put it in the show notes. Is it just Equity Mates, one word? You're, you're testing me. Okay, well, <laughs> have a look in the show notes. It will be there. But Ricky, we're, we're doing a bit of a deep dive on two stocks. We've just po- spoken about uh, Propel Funeral Services. Uh, the second company uh, you mentioned was a biotech company. So let's start general again. Tell us about the company and uh, what it does. Okay, so it's in the um, the radio pharmaceutical space. Um, some people might be familiar with a company called Telix Pharmaceuticals. I can't say I am. Well, it's now a $3.6 billion company. It's really a, a true Aussie biotech success story. That it's one we've owned since IPO. I'm still owned today and I still very much um, like Telix. This is a mini Telix and both companies would hate me saying that. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that's the simplest way to explain it. Um, the company is Clarity Pharmaceuticals, um, the stock code CU6. Uh, 300 mil market cap, it listed a few years ago. So um, being an investor in Telix is, you know, it was, it was something that I sort of looked at. We bought a position um, a bit earlier this year. So, I, so I was maybe stepping back, what is Radio Pharmaceuticals? And I don't have a biotech background, so you know I can I can explain this how I sort of understand great, it great, as well. Great, yeah, yeah. So it's a form of precision medicine. What they're doing is they're taking a radioactive isotope, they're attaching it to a specific molecule, and that molecule is able to bind to cancer cells in the body, because cancer cells express different proteins. Different cancer cells express different types of proteins. So it's about matching the right molecule. To, um, to, to, to the protein that it's going to bind to um, and you've got a radioactive um, payload there. So it's used in two ways, as a diagnostic and as a therapeutic. So for the diagnostic, what you're doing is you're injecting into the patient and because the molecule is seeking out the cancer cells, attached to the cancer cells, then you image the patient and the body lights up wherever there's a cancer cell. Wow. So compared to um, traditional methods of, of imaging, this is much more accurate. Wow. It's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, so <laughs> as I said, Telix is sort of an Aussie biotech success. They were second to the market with a prostate imaging product last year. The other company, Lanthius, NASDAQ listed, you know, big US biotech, they were the first. So there's those two first to the market with prostate imaging products. So the space is getting a lot more attention. So that's on the diagnostic side. From a therapeutic perspective, it's exactly the same concept, but you're attaching a bigger radioactive payload. And so that is going into the cancer cell. It's 
attacking the cancer cell, impacting the tumour without impacting healthy tissue. So contrast that to what happens today with uh, external beam radiation, Mm -hmm. if you're receiving radiation um, to treat cancer, that you're getting a beam of radiation and, yes, it's targeting the tumour, but it's also impacting healthy tissue on the Mm -hmm. way through. So hence why um, my comment earlier about it being precision medicine. So clarity... As I said, they're, they're a clinical stage company, so they don't have any approved products today. They've got three assets. They have eight clinical trials underway and seeking to diagnose and treat a range of cancers. So, you know, from prostate cancer, neuroblastoma, neuroendocrine tumours, and potentially a much broader application. It's differentiated from, say, a Telix or a Lanthius in that it's using copper as a radioactive isotope for both the diagnostic and the therapeutic. And, you know, why is that important? There are a number of benefits for using copper over other isotopes. So Telix and Lanthius, they use gallium, for example, letitium, fluorine. Copper has many benefits, um, being manufacturing footprint um, and supply chain. It also has a longer half-life. And that's important just in terms of you don't have to dose the patient and image them straight away. You could dose the patient and it be next day day one day two where they get imaged and that you know they'll still light up like a christmas tree if there's <laughs> hopefully um, not there's, hopefully not hopefully not but if there's cancer in the body you know there are challenges with the current two products on the market in that you know from a patient scheduling perspective you know you've got to dose them and image them very quickly i like clarity because uh they they've kind of overcome the challenges of copper copper's always been of interest in a medical setting but there's been challenges being um getting commercial scale supply so clarity's um, solved that and also the issue with copper is it's not stable in the body but they've come up with some technology where they essentially create a cage around the copper isotope to stop it leaking into the body and they're the only ones in the world to have done it and they own the ip on that Um, so it's a pretty exciting story they um there's a number as i said they've got eight clinical trials underway a number of catalysts in the next six 12 months with trial readouts they're about to start a phase three trial in prostate imaging early next year and they've got a good cash runway to fund that and you know there has been a lot of corporate interest in the space just last week la Lilly, which is a u.s um, pharmaceutical company they um, made a bid for point biopharma another radio um, pharmaceuticals player for it was us 1.4 billion Wow, and you know, I think there's a there's a very positive read through for the value of not just Clarity's um, assets, but but Telix as well. So definitely a lot of corporate interest in the space. You could not rule out. So there's been a lot of conversation in the Equity Mates community about the developments in biomedicine in the small cap space recently. And one of the things that's sort of common with a lot of the, I guess, innovators is the the cost of the new treatment or diagnosis or whatnot is more than what is tr- currently in market. So how does that, com- what uh, what they're doing at the moment compare to just your traditional, I guess, radio treatment or diagnosis and what's the response been from industry? I mean, the response has been extremely positive. You've just seen an absolute explosion in um, in prostate imaging using using these drugs. So Telix right. is called Elucix, um, Lanthius is drug as well. And it, the uptake's been much, much quicker than, than what people expected. You know, there is a, cost associated with that obviously these drugs aren't aren't cheap mm. but on the flip side if you're catching the cancer earlier if you're able to um, identify lesions that 
traditional imaging wouldn't have, then, you know, there is a, an argument, a cost sort of argument down the line. Um, earlier intervention is, you know, not just better for the patient, but actually w- would save money um, so over time. Mm, mm. So you mentioned that you're not a uh, chemist or pharmacist by trade, not a biomedical expert. When you come across a company like this, you know, you, you hear that story and it's compelling. Like they've solved some problems that the industry were struggling to solve. It's an area of medicine that's interesting and there's a clear use case there's corporate interest from some of the bigger pharma players it's interesting but they don't have a product in market and they've got a number of clinical trials and clinical trials can be expensive but they're also uncertain so how do you as a fund manager uh, then build the confidence in the technology and the clinical trials and the stage they're at and I guess also the balance sheet that they have to fund the clinical trials that they need to do how do you get from this is an interesting idea to this is an investable idea. Yeah, it looks a really tricky one. You know, I suppose I would always be hesitant to get involved at too early a stage. So, you know, that phase one stage where it's, it's really just sort of a, you know, in animals, um, no, no human trials, et cetera, that poses a, a greater risk. So I suppose with Clarity, having first met them sort of at, at the IPO and kept an eye across, you know, the last uh, couple of years, They've done a great job at hitting a lot of milestones, which is very rare when it comes to biotechs and, and clinical trials. Like they, they always take longer um, than, than what you expect. Um, I think they've done a really good job of hitting all the milestones that they've said. Um, they've had, you know, they, they still, it's still early stage. They're sort of, you know, phase one for some assets, phase two for others. Um, they are about to commence a phase three early next year. Um, but there's been some really encouraging data coming out of their trials, um, both on the diagnostic side and the therapeutic side. So that gives me that gives me some comfort. I guess the way I think about investing in a biotech, though, I own a lot more of Propel than I do yeah. of Clarity. <laughs> so you know, when it comes to when I think about portfolio construction. I have a much smaller weight in something like this, given it is inherently risky. Um, you can have all the confidence in the world that this that the drug is is going to work, um, for whatever reason. But it is a very binary outcome at the end of the day. So, yeah. So I suppose from a portfolio construction perspective, I'm happy to take some risk, but it's a much smaller position in my fund than you know, Propel. And so then what's the bear case? Like what are the red flags that you look out for as these type of companies progress through that period of clinical trial and then coming to market? Yeah, so I mean, the biggest one is that they have a data readout that you know they fail to meet yeah. a primary endpoint in one of their clinical trials. That's the, the single biggest risk. Clarity does, as I said, have three different assets, so it's not a case of all their eggs are in one basket. They, there's sort of three distinct assets, but yeah, the clinical trial risk is is the biggest number one. You know, the second one, as you said, that you know these drugs they cost a lot of money to get to market and you know they're expensive to run so funding is the other risk when the market starts feeling like we see an end of the cash runway are they going to need to raise capital you know that can often put pressure on a share price so that would be you know that's the other sort of concern Um, as I said they've got plenty of cash to get them you know well into the latter part of next year and in the meantime you know I expect there you know I'm I do expect there to be some positive 
announcements around um, clinical trials um, that should see a, a positive share price reaction. But look, you know, if if they're going to progress these assets through phase three, they, they will at some point need to raise more money. Mm. Yeah, okay. So the eight trials, are they all in the US or are they in Australia or? Most of them are in the US. Yeah. They do have, um, they do have one um, in Australia, but yeah, most of them, most of them in the US. Yeah. This is one thing that like internationalizing medical trials would save a lot of companies a lot of money and probably speed a lot of drugs to market. Yeah, anyway, yeah, but the, the, yeah, the, US, <laughs> the FDA likes to see yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. trials in US um, patients and then equally, you know, a drug could be approved in the US but then the company will need to run a different clinical trial in European patients or Japanese patients. Yeah, yeah, you know, it just regulators have sort of different, different um, ways of looking at these things and requirements. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've spoken about long-term investing a few times. Uh, if this company is able to execute through the trial phases and, and everything, what does it look like in 10 years? Does it just look like an operating subsidiary of Eli Lilly? Or like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, like? that's, yeah, that's the dream. That's the dream. Yeah, as I said, you know, you've got Telix there with $3.6 billion of market cap, um, a, you know, phenomenal company. And, you know, it's actually, it's amazing to have a success story like that in the Australian listed market because, you know, it, it does feel like it's been an easy space, easier space to avoid, you know, with, with some of the, you know, the likes of a, a mesoblast, et cetera, um, over the years. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the dream, either that they, um, you know, they have great results out of their clinical trials, um, they raise enough money to commercialise it themselves or big, big US pharma um, comes knocking and, and takes it out for a valuation much higher than it is today. So, yeah, it's sort of one of those things. It's um, if it works, it's you know a multi bagger. Um, if it doesn't, yeah, it's a bit yeah, it's a bit more <laughs> of a binary outcome. It is, in it is. Hence, space. hence yeah. why you know you 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 think carefully about you know how much you'd be investing into a stock like that versus something that's more stable um, and long term sort of value creation story like a Propel. Yeah. It's just like just taking it out of just one particular company. I just remember like when we were at uni and stuff, we would hear about all these new cutting edge cancer treatments that were coming. You'd see articles in The Economist and stuff like that. You'd be like, this is cool. But the investment, like the companies just weren't really there. Sort of fast forward 10 years and it's like now the companies are starting to be there. And it's just really exciting for... I guess our Us. futures yeah. outside it's, of investing yeah. just it's, helps. It's yeah. super exciting. And as I said, you know, I, I'm very passionate about it, you know, having having had that experience with my best friend passing away from cancer. And, you know, I always just think, gosh, if, you know, another five, ten years, mm. you know, there would have been, you know, could have been a treatment to, to save her. So, you know, I, I do like, um, you know, feeling like I'm, you know, investing in, in you know, in some of these stories and supporting new drugs to market, you know, in a small way. I'm, you know, one of many, many shareholders, but yeah. Hmm. Well, Ricky, you're also supporting the work that the Hearts and Minds uh, guys are doing through the the, the investment conference. Um, good luck with your pitch. Thank uh, you. We're looking looking forward to uh, to seeing it. If you're interested in attending the conference, it is Australia's leading finance conference, and they do support Australian medical research. You can grab a ticket for the in-person event or online, and we've tuned in so the last three years. And Ren, there's been some awesome stock picks. Mm. Um, highly recommend if you are able to grab a ticket 
at doing so. Information will be in the show notes for our discount code for the online and also for buying tickets in person. And we should say, if you want to learn more about the impact that Hearts and Minds are making and where the money is going and what the medical researchers are doing with it, uh, Hearts and Minds actually have a podcast that they've just launched where they speak to some of the fund managers and to some of the scientists. So if you search Hearts and Minds, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you'll find it. Uh, But that'll give you more color on what what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ricky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and uh, looking forward to seeing you at at the conference. Great. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have physicians in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.